Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. What's up, everybody? Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the most illustrious and only uh, New York Knicks draft podcast, Draft Strickland, at least until friend of the pod, Chris Persiani, kicks his draft up again later in this year. We're on season four, episode two, with a very special first-time guest. Somebody we haven't had on before, but uh, if you don't know about him, you're going to be happy you tuned in. And uh, by the end of this episode, hopefully you'll be following this person and their podcast and everything like that. Um, It's one of my favorite newer-ish follows on Draft Twitter. I don't know when you joined Draft Twitter, but you are newer on my radar and uh, just really enjoy um, all the commentary, analysis, analytics, all that shit that you bring to the table. Um, even though you're a Heat fan, which which is which is something that them that just shows you how. Uh, could I this see the screen commentary is. very often. In it. Yeah, exactly. This is this is how we do it here. It's Eli, Eli, my my colleague here, Eli from uh, the Culture Chatter podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Lawless Like Eli. Um, and you can find the Culture Chatter podcast on Twitter. Uh, just look for the name of that podcast. Um, on Twitter, Eli tweets, writes, shares information about the draft, about the NFL, apparently, uh, also about the Miami Heat. Um, so check him out. Give him a follow. Uh, subscribe to their pod if you're into the draft. Eli, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, man, I'm doing great. Um... You mentioned the recent NFL tweets. That's normally like not the biggest diet of um, the tweets, but you know, obviously, you know, winter time, playoff time. Um, a lot of teams recently, you know, punched their way to the playoffs. So there's a few of those, but it's mostly you know NBA and um, prospect adjacent um, uh, content, um, and uh, you know. Obviously, a lot of content about the Miami Heat, who, you know, your Knicks have a, a little thing, I guess. I don't think it's very mutual, but. <laughs> no, nah, we got to, we won't talk about the playoff series, or maybe we will talk about it a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely not bitter or petty about it at all. Um, yeah, no, I just, I, I had your Twitter in front of me, and I was just scrolling down just to be professional. And then I saw this football shit, and I was like, oh, let me find out, because. I think there's actually a pretty big intersection in like draft Twitter and like NBA draft Twitter and NFL draft Twitter. Um, I mean, it's, it's the NFL, right? Like I'm probably the exception here in like the Strickland crew. I'm like the one person who doesn't give a flying fuck about the NFL. So um, good for you. If uh, 
if you're doing your thing out here looking at multiple sports and all that shit um i know my normal pot strickland co-host schwinn is, is uh is a big is a big bills guy and i would be remiss if i didn't take this opportunity to also promote the strickland's newest podcast strictly nfl which you should totally check out even though i don't because i don't care about the nfl so listeners check that out if you haven't subscribed to it but yeah so uh, we could really just just get right into it i um i was really excited people to uh, have eli on not just because he knows a lot about this year's class and he has a really interesting perspective on just looking at prospects but I think the Heat and Knicks are kind of in funny and sort of similar positions with regards to the draft. They, the Heat have their main superstars, right? The Knicks have their main stars. The Heat have their main role players for the most part, although some of them left. Um, and I'm sure they're in the process of molding other various random white boys into stud contributors as we speak. But like, they're still looking for, you know, the the next the next draft picks who aren't in the top five who can end up contributing, right? It's something the Heat have done multiple times. Bam wasn't a top pick. Tyler Hero wasn't a top pick. Um, and other contributors on the team were, you know, late picks, undrafted free agent signings, things like that. Um, so they they make as much the use of the draft as any other team. Um, Jaime Jaquez is is doing his thing out here. Um, I can't hate, right? We only got so many Latinos in the NBA, so I'm like obligated to show a little bit of support for my guy. Um, and he was, you know, a perfect example of a player who I honestly kind of wrote off. Like it, it, he's one of those players who, if I wasn't doing this for shits and giggles, I probably would have spent more time on him but I'm not, and I'm lazy. So I was just like, uh, it doesn't seem like I should spend that much time on this guy who the Knicks aren't going to pick. And then he ended up being nice, so joke's on me, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess before we get into this year's draft, like, I just want to kind of pick your brain a bit on, like, what is your perspective on how the Heat have handled the draft? Because, like, you know, it's always different when you're a fan of the team and you're you have a, a microscope on each pick and you're analyzing these things with a fine tooth comb and it's easy to be like, oh yeah, bam out of bio, Tyler Hero. But you mentioned to me previously that like there were a couple of times that he either whiffed or if they didn't whiff, like they passed on obvious players who were better or so like what is your like what is your evaluation of like how the heat draft like both what they look for and how good they are at the draft. Um, so I think like the first part of that, what they look for is relatively obvious. I know you have your own thing. Nick's drive targets. Is it parent? What is, what is the exact formula? Oh yeah. Yeah. The parent formula named after our assistant GM and lead of amateur scouting, Walt Perrin. <laughs> yeah. I I don't have, you know, a cool name like that, but I do know that um, just from some of the selections historically, that the Heat really value touch. Um, they really value um, intangibles or good interviewing or um, whatever exactly you want to call it. 
Um, Heat culture. Culture. I, I, I wouldn't <laughs> stay away from that word just because people, people kind of like hate it, and it does. It is like, it does invict like a, a certain. <laughs> it does invict a certain arrogance, but culture. Let's go with culture. Guys that kind of fit that culture, um, in terms of their personalities. Guys who, you know, have a history of working hard or. Um, people around them consider them hard workers. Um, but touch is a big thing. Obviously, general shooting ability, some of the picks go against that, but they had, you know, decent or relevant shooting indicators from certain ranges, whether that, you know, they were good in the mid-range or they shot a decent percentage from the from the free throw line or their, their diet of three-point attempts wasn't, you know, the cleanest in terms of shot quality. And um, I think they're not really, it seems like they're, not the biggest on um, getting some of these guys like really big wingspans. Almost every you know heat pick that's not that's not damn who's a big. Um, they've had like neutral or like plus one plus two wingspans. Whether that's Yovich, whether that's Tyler, Tommy's wingspan isn't particularly long. Um, a pick we won't name has a decent wingspan. He's actually on the Knicks, uh, <laughs> which is hilarious. Wait, a time out. Who 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 do you mean? <laughs> Maybe I've had too long of a day. I don't. Oh, a New Jersey native, Precious, Precious and Chula. Oh, oh, Precious. I yeah, forgot Precious the undrafted Precious. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No oh, shit. Precious has like a seven-one wingspan. He's kind of the only historical example I can think of off the top of my head who's like a big yeah. wingspan guy. But I think, um, kind of, there is kind of a correlation between like touch and neutral wingspan. A lot of the floater-heavy mm-hmm. guys aren't like big wingspan guy so maybe that's the reason um and then i think just like general off-ball field players um that played in roles where they were either playing off of someone or they were uh, playing next to another creator and they just have like general feel for relocation or general feel for you know playing off of screens and curls um and you know that's definitely you know tyler's role um with kentucky um, and that was certainly, you know, Jovic's role at Mega, and that was um, outside of, like, the post-up stuff where he's, like, you know, the primary. That was definitely early UCLA uh, homies role. So I think those are, like, the things they're looking for, right? They're high character, touch indicators, off-ball field, right? I think that's about what they're looking for. And in terms of the hit rate on that, I think the last few years, especially, you know, when we when we've had picks, I would say that the the Heat have done relatively well. I, I mean, I can't really think of one that's like outside of pressures is like objectively a miss, and it's not like we develop pressures, right? So I can't even really comment on that. Um, after the Winslow pick, which was in 2015, we didn't have a pick in 2016. This is first rounders, um, but first round pick, Bam Tyler Hero, redacted. <laughs> Nikola Jovic and Tommy Hawkins and all of them are on the team right now. And I think Jovic's develop like his development is coming along a little slower than like Tommy, but he also came in a lot younger. He was like a teenager. He was a teenager all of last year and just recently turned twenty, I believe. Um and he's had like a, a pretty big physical transformation. He's gone from like super skinny, um ball handler forward type of guy so like he's kind of like a kind of still has some of those those 
wingy skills, but he's kind of like, in terms of build, kind of like traditionally a four and, you know, developing those movement skills in a new body uh, will be I important. I saw some tweet that said he was 240. That seems... You said, what was the, what was the number? 240? <laughs> I think, yeah, he's huge. I'm not going to lie. He's, he's probably... Really? Dang. He's 240 might be might be gas, but he is 6'10". I'd imagine... If he stands next to Caleb, or not Caleb, if he stands next to Kevin, um, he probably doesn't look as big, but he's a he's a little bit taller than Kevin, so I don't know. It might like, be I because think... his face is still like 15 years old. Yeah, he does look really young, but I think I think Jovic is in that range, which is like, he put on like 30 pounds. Like, that's the, in an off season, that's kind of, that's kind of a huge physical transformation, and we're hoping that it leads to the proper role transformation just because I'd imagine other teams would have assessed him as like this creator type prospect that a lot of people on draft Twitter, um, especially, you know, after the the FIBA World Cup U nineteen stuff, um, I think I think a lot of people seen him as kind of a creator. I think that he kind of assessed them as like the future for next to them. So we'll we'll see when it comes to the Yovich, but I think Hami is you can argue he's Hame. I'm sorry. Uh, you can argue he's already hit. Obviously, Bam and Bam is a hit, and Tyler Hero is you know a good basketball player for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I may like what he he was what like uh what do you remember what pick he was? He was a uh, eighteen, right 18, after um, so like um <laughs> JHS for Lakers. That's right. Yeah. So like. I'm pretty confident in saying he's a rotation player and like I don't know if like if reasonable people can differ on whether that's a hit. I'm pretty sure you can say that's not a bust at the very least, which is pretty good for 18. Uh just because anytime you get a rotation player in the back half of the first is even though sometimes it's kind of boring, it, that's that's a dub. So uh that's good news. Um and there's definitely a little upside there because he can do a lot of things. And a- another thing that kind of stands out to me um, for the Heat prospects, including Precious, even though with Precious it was more theoretical than actual, is like they pick guys who seem like they can be versatile. Um, Tyler's not really versatile on defense, but he's very versatile on offense. And then all the other players are in theory, or actually pretty versatile on both ends, right? Like, Jovich, like, one of the one of the ideas was, like, okay, he's skinny now, but that's because he's a baby, and once he gains strength, then, like, I don't know if he can play small ball five, but maybe he can, but he could play four, and maybe he could guard down a position or so and guard up in a pinch, and Jaime is another one who's, like, you know, he's not going to get all defense, but um, he's really fucking strong. And that is just as much a key to versatility on defense as length. And I feel like um, another thing the Knicks do that the Heat also take advantage of, um, I I feel like strength is actually an underrated uh, quality in prospects. Like wingspan gets all the love and all the shine, right? And we always talk about like, oh, blah, 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 the plus two or a plus three. And for shit's, couple months ago i looked up like all defense players who aren't centers in the last couple years and most of them don't have good wingspans they're like 
plus a little tiny bit. Yeah, Jimmy doesn't have a good wingspan at all. Jimmy doesn't have a good wingspan. Caruso doesn't have a good wingspan. Drew doesn't have a good wingspan. None of these motherfuckers have a good wingspan except like like OG and like a couple of uh, there's a, obviously like it's not like having a long wingspan is not helpful. Obviously it's helpful, but like I think the key to being versatile is like you gotta be strong, right? And we see that shit all the time. Like you can be a long defender, but if you're a twig, a lot of these guys are gonna move you. Like what doesn't matter whether they're like guard size like Brunson or wing size like Brunson or just or not Brunson or like like Jimmy Butler or fucking Julius Randle army tank size like all these guys are moving you out the way for the most part like you got to be strong the thing that makes og crazy is he's long and strong so like you know being able to take a guy like jovich and be like he's skinny now but we can see him adding 20 30 pounds or whatever and then even with precious like the whole theory of him was like he's a five who's undersized but maybe he gets stronger he has some ball skills. He can sort of shoot if you squint. We can see him developing the shot. None of those things came to bear in real life, unfortunately. The shot did kind of. The shot did kind of. And I was really annoyed because I predicted that he was going to shoot well. And part of that was like, his shot does look good. But part of that was also like, he's from the Bronx. So I just need him to shoot for my own like mental health. So I can just say that. and. In his next tenure, he has one three, so that's a good start. He's, I think, one for two from three, so I don't care what he did in Toronto. I'm going to give him a new chance to shoot. But anyway, I don't want to go down too big of a precious tangent, but like he's a versatile guy who, in theory, you could project to add strength. In reality, he didn't add that much strength, so um, for either because he couldn't or because he wouldn't. Um, so the versatility thing, I think, is is really key. So um to you know kind of take it to this year's draft like i do want to talk about if there's any prospects who are who have those kind of touch indicators who might have some level of versatility or ability to gain strength um who you've seen but before we get into the particular players one more just like kind of high-level question on how you view this draft, the 2024 draft. Um, you know, online, a lot of people will say, this draft sucks, especially compared to last year's draft, which I feel like is kind of not fair, but it's also true. I, you could ask different people, but, like, it's probably at least 10 people who from last year's draft who I'd be like, yeah, easy number one in this year's class. But Yeah, I, I <laughs> Yeah, which is wild to say. And, I mean, it is what it is, though. That's just how the cookie crumbles. There's two ways you could view that. Like, the first way is in a draft where the top 10 is crazy, then all of a sudden you have guys like Alex Sar, who in this year's draft might be number one or two or three. He might be going 10 or 11 or 12. So that necessarily makes the middle of the draft stronger. So I think that is the theory where you get some people who say like, no, this draft just sucks. It's, and it's just like an unqualified statement. And then there's some people like Sam Vecini, and I think I lean towards this as well a little bit, which is like the top of the draft is weak, but like if you're picking like 16 this year versus 16 last year versus 16 the year before, like 
it's probably not that huge of a difference. And you could choose a different number, right? That's lower, like 20 or 22 or something like that. Um, so I know it's early and guys' stock will continue to change as, you know, colleges get into like tournament, conference tournament play and March Madness and everything. But how are you feeling about uh, about this class? Not just the top, but like yeah. the rest of it. Um, I think I have... I might be the only person to come up here and be like, it's not that bad. Like, it, it, maybe that's my, maybe that's my, um, like, affinity to be a contrarian. But I truly think that the top of the class is weak relative to other years, right? Especially last year. But last year, you know, you could argue last year is one of the stronger top three, four, fives, whatever, if you extend Ever. it to, like, in a, in a, in a wow. Obviously, even beyond Wimby, like, if you remove Wimby, and mm-hmm. you just throw out, you just throw out Scoot, Amon. I know some people like Cam Whitmore in that range, a star. Like, these are players um, with multiple plus-plus skills, um, invaluable archetypes. You don't find that in every draft, right? So I think the difference between this draft and that draft is, is that there are players um, with, mo- like, multiple or two or three even plus plus skills but they're in archetypes that are unique right they're in archetypes that are like the ideal developmental circumstance for them aren't very common right i think ron holly like relative to relative to frame plus plus strength in my opinion plus plus reaction time and like plus plus explosion whether that's like vertically horizontally or out of his first step but he is you know skinny wing handling like handling challenge, um, shooting challenge, et cetera, et cetera. There's a like there I do think that you may disagree. I know you had him low on your board. I do think there is a world and a possibility where he shoots, where he's driving more confidently, where he's totally. you know, making reads out of drives. And if he's doing that with his explosion, you know, he's not RJ Barrett. Like he can actually no offense, but he can actually when, when we're no that, we're no strangers to slandering RJ Barrett on this website, okay? <laughs> he can he can actually he can actually win off the bounce with straight line speed, and you know he has more than enough um, explosion vertically, um, especially like as a horizontal leaper. He like jumps way outside of the restricted area all the time, and he just always two hand jams. And he's I think that's probably his like his best trait as a leaper, like power generation off of one foot and a weight he kind of just floats in the air i don't even think he gets like super high but um long so i think <laughs> i think his i think uh like there is a world where ron is like an all-star or a low-end all-star but that world takes a circumstance where you know he has somebody that on the defensive end, he has somebody that's a defensive communicator and a coach that will hold him accountable. That's not really happening with Ignite. And historically, you know, he's been that kind of guy. Duncanville, right. high-quality team. They won three state championships. He was a big part of that. But I do think that that's something that he needs if he's, you know, obviously going to unlock all defensive potential. And then a system that doesn't put him in too many circumstances where he's running middle of the floor, pick and roll, or, you know, he's directly in, yeah he's directly in in a bunch of actions that you scheme against but at the same time a system that doesn't just stick him in a corner and you get your opportunities where you can like you 
he's great in, in he's great in transition. Um, but I don't think that you want to limit him to specifically that. So I think even though I'm higher on the high end outcome of Iran, I can understand why somebody is lower just because the ideal developmental circumstances where there is um, enough usage available to where we can give you dribble handoffs and we can give you a single side and you can run a pick and roll. And these are, we're simplifying your decision making and we're, you know, but we're still like putting food on your plate. We're still giving you something to, you know, get in-game reps as a handler, get in-game reps as a passer without putting too much on your plate. I, I, I don't know how, if that situation, if that situation exists, is that Detroit, is that, you know, San Antonio, you could argue um, it doesn't, which in that case, you would be lower on him. And I think the same kind of applies with like Mata's and kind of strength development. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, same with Star, right? Where Star, plus, 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 I think he might have like some of the best movement skills for totally. a, a five or five adjacent type of player. I think like he's, him is like him and Mobley. He might be a better mover than Mobley though, because he's not at as high hip. But his struggles with physicality are like super, super prevalent, especially in a league like the NBA, where there are a lot of centers that are that aren't particularly tall or athletic, but they are burly. And I think that kind of shows up in his finishing numbers, where he, I think he's shooting like sixty percent at the rim or sixty-two or something like that. Which is, if you just throw that out there, like if he was a wing, that would be fine. But he's not. His you expect him to finish everything. <laughs> you said what? I said he's the kind of prospect who you would expect would finish everything. Yeah, like seven five wingspan, seven foot, like sixty sixty two percent. Um, isn't great, and obviously, I think historically, rim field goal percentage is like an indicator of 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 bust. Like you look at guys with super low rim field goal percentages and super low free throw percentages, something that he has. It's like bust, 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 and I'm not calling it sorry, bust because I think those are kind of okay. Those guys are usually those guys are usually bad um, in terms of touch, right? They don't have touch, but he has touch, like him, like fifty percent of his mid range numbers right now. So I think that it's more of an issue of like some of the core strength and concentration, um, and getting him, you know, in a circumstance where he where he can develop as a four and get in game reps, but also you know, um, develop in terms of strength is will be interesting, right? Is there a team currently other than maybe San Antonio where you can and they kind of are on that arc with Wimby where you can envision envision him playing the four, mm-hmm. still developing five skills and getting stronger at the same time and like balancing those three things. So, and a lot of these players don't have like good priors, right? Like we haven't seen these players dominate events after events, after events. If you go on, like, Cerebro, for example, and go look at the, all of Jalen Suggs' events. Um, for people who don't know, listening, Cerebro is a software uh, and a company, um, which you may have heard of from old-time friend of the pod, PD Web, and, uh, uh, damn, I'm blanking on his other name, my guy, Ro- Rohan, I think his name was? Anyway, it's been a minute since they were on the pod, but Cerebro basically lets you compare how a player did at a quote-unquote event, which is like, it could be the NCAA tournament, it could be the NCAA season, it could be some Jordan brand-sponsored tournament, it could be like the EYBL high school run, it could be college, it could be overseas. And they just, the, the magic about Cerebro is they basically 
can grade out how much a player dominated in that event relative to that player's peers across events. So you can say like, oh, Shangun played in this league and in this league before he came into the NBA in Europe and absolutely dominated. He gets a gold. And Jalen Suggs played over here in America, in Minnesota, and in EYBL, and then in Gonzaga, and got a gold here, here, and here. And they both got gold, so they both must be really strong draft prospects, right? That kind of comparison. Um, so what you're saying is, uh, if you look at the Cerebro numbers for a lot of these guys, it's not that level of like dominance before they got to this year. Yeah, it's a lot of bronze, bronze, bronze. And mm. where I was going with the Jalen Suggs comparison is that you look at Jalen Suggs event by event, whether it was, you know, the UAA stuff or mm. it was um, the stuff with Minihana. Just, or Minihaha, what is it? I, I don't know. Either dude. way, either I just way. Know the really good Minnesota basketball Minnesota. team. <laughs> <laughs> all of them are like plus, plus 10 gold, 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 silver. Um, and he was on the national scene for a really long time, and he was a relevant prospect for a really long time. And there's mm-hmm. only there's really only one guy who's been like relevant for a really long time. But a big part of that is his dad was an NBA player. His his granddad was also like an All American, and he's like he is a a decent player. But obviously, just the early parts of the NCAA season have not really backed up some of that early ranking. And really, he never really had like dominant. Or, or really productive um, sessions relative to his peers. And that's B.J. Wagner, right? He wasn't great um, with Team USA. Right, right. Wasn't great EYBL and most of the Camden events. He wasn't, like, super, super, super good. So mm-hmm. there's a bunch of players who don't have, like, these these plus, plus, plus priors, right? That, okay, K was on the scene um, after, you know, he went to Montverde. He was on the scene, right? Everyone knew who Kay Cunningham was once he had transferred, um, once he had left Texas. Um, everyone knew who Jalen who Jalen Green was. Well, even a little bit before prolific prep, like he's one of the most famous high school players ever. Same kind of applies right, for right. same kind of applies for Mobley. And then in the next class, the same definitely applies for Chet. He again, one of the most famous high school players ever. Um Paolo is a little bit different just because I think COVID kind of put a, a wrench on Mm-hmm. Um, him because they, they couldn't go out of state. Um, in Seattle, I think he kind of put a wrench on his hype. But I do think that Paolo is still definitely a relevant name on draft Twitter at the very least. Oh yeah, Jalen Hart, Jaden Hardy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this class, it's just like <laughs> the last class was just like plus plus priors everywhere. You know, Lively was RSCI number one. He went like twelve. Um. Nick Smith Jr. was RSCI, or was Nick Smith Jr. RSCI number one? One of them was. Lively was number one, but Nick Smith was number one on another service. I forget which. On one, on one of them, and obviously he yeah. went twenty-seven. He went twenty-seven, and these guys, you know, Lively dominated with Team Final. Um, Nick Smith Jr. dominated with uh, uh, Bradley Bill Elite. Um, and Scoot had been on the scene for a good bit now, but certainly the, the two years before. Women Yama had been on the scene forever, basically, since he was 15, 16. So there's just, like, the comparison I think that we make cognitively is, like, I don't know this player. I'm not well-informed of this player because they didn't 
really have illustrious co- uh, high school careers outside of Holland. Um, they weren't EYBL superstars, and right now they're all in in archetypes that aren't the cutest, like aren't the loveliest, aren't the easiest to project. I should say. So, yeah. So I think that's. I think we kind of faded because of that. But I, that's a, I also think it's weak, like in comparison to other classes. But I don't think it's like the worst class that we've seen in a while. Like, I wouldn't say this is the worst top of the class in like 2015. Yeah, it's that's a really good way of phrasing it. And I don't I haven't really heard somebody phrase it that way. It's specifically like there's a lot of players here who either because because of different circumstances, they may have unique skill sets in weird archetypes or whatever, and they may not have the track record of adapting and dominating that past top picks have. But that's not to say that there's not pathways to them being really great. It's just you can't be a team that just stumbles on the fifth pick and just plugs and plays some player in, and regardless of who you have, you're going to be fine. Like there's a little bit more onus on front offices to really consider like we have a player who has skills, but are they going to flourish here or not? And, and that is really, really fascinating to me. Um, It's something I've kind of wanted to write about from the opposite side. And I will at some point, which is like the NBA side. And what I mean by that is, there's only three teams tanking right now and there's more parity right now in the league than ever before. The combination of like players playing longer into their careers and young players being ready to contribute because of crazy drafts like last year means there's less roster spots that are purely for a player to just like fuck around on the court and make mistakes and shit. Um, most development now you have to earn your minutes it's very rare to see a player no matter how high they're picked um get minutes and they're an, a zero on one end of the court it just it doesn't happen um like even someone like dyson daniels who's like i consider him basically a zero on offense but he's like an absolutely like stunning incredible defender well beyond his years so he's as good as you could possibly be at his age on the other end. And he's like, that's what it takes to to make up for being basically not helpful on offense uh, on a team. That's pretty good. So it's, it's already hard for good picks in archetypes that are a little easier to envision. It's already hard for those guys to find minutes. So that's why I think it's going to be really scary for GMs and front offices in charge of the draft this year, because especially in the top 10, because the top 10 is supposed to be theoretically where you get things, players who are surer picks and, you know, maybe the fit isn't as clean, but so what you can still take Jairus Walker and he'll compliment you with your, your guys eventually, because he's a two way player and he has good size and, and all that shit. But in, in reality, all of a sudden, your team is the Pacers, and you you, you putting up 140 points a game, and now you're not sure if Jairus Walker fits with this 
high octane shit and you're good now and you don't have time for an 18 year old right no matter how good they are so now you might be on the you know look out for trading for og or 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 pascal or someone like that or kyle kuzma so like it's really hard right now to to get minutes for talented players and for these players like you mentioned like ron holland and uh Buzelis, the two stars of the ignite those guys got lots of talent but you can't just plug them in mindlessly and i'm not saying that's what teams do but like i think a lot of times throughout the league teams with good reason have been like i'm gonna bet on the talent and we'll figure out the fit a little bit later and that's going to be really hard with this class. And that means there might be some players who could otherwise have ended up good, who end up being like second contract guys, if not just like bums straight up in the top 10. And it it wouldn't be super surprising. Right. And it's like, and what does that mean for like trading around the draft, like trading in, are these teams going to, are these GMs going to be looking to trade out because they're shook? I have no fucking idea. So it's going to be a, a wild draft from that perspective. And I agree. I, I think it's one of those where for good drafting front offices that are really conscious about these nuances, um, I think there's going to be opportunities there for them to, if they know a guy who fits in with what they're specifically trying to do, they can trade with some of these GMs that get a little bit nervous that are in like picking eight, nine, ten. 11 right like the knicks have two picks maybe they trade up they they haven't they've tried to do that a couple of times they tried to trade up for trey yeah, murphy, with ivy. couldn't do it well I, they tried to do it with ivy with trey murphy um they tried to do it with maxi um they, they've tried to do it a couple of times throughout the years but haven't really been able to pull it off um of course they have more stuff to trade now than they did back then but um anyway my point is like it's definitely uh it's definitely like weird trade proposal season. It's going to be that leading into the draft um, for some for some teams, but other teams might just be like, "Fuck this! I'm trying to just trade out or trade back, so I have a less pressure spot." We already got nine of our roster spots accounted for, including lots of young guys. Like, I'm not trying to. I'm trying to just you know deal with the devil I have here rather than look look like a fool or something so it, it'll be real interesting and then and then we haven't even talked about like several teams having lots of the picks which makes it even yeah. more <laughs> even more insane we like, re- somebody- this isn't even this is based on where our teams are this isn't even necessarily where the conversation was supposed to go but i kind of thought that that was that that was relevant to like understanding the yeah. 2024 class where it is I think there is um there is a quickness to be like, this is bad. Okay, maybe this is bad. But what if it's just weird? And what <laughs> if those two things don't necessarily correlate? That's that's my only thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And I think when most people say this is bad, what they kind of mean is, even if they don't know it, is this isn't easy to stumble into a good player. Which... There's overlap there, but it's not exactly the same thing. So, <laughs> um, like, the quickly, the weird COVID draft, like, that was weird. And guess what happened? You have so a bunch of fucking all-NBA, all-star, or quasi-all-stars 
coming up in the second half of that draft because it was weird and other teams took advantage of that. Maxi, quickly, Bain, Halley, like McDaniel. I'm missing there's like ten other guys. It was like it was insane. And that was per that that was probably the best analog to this year, not necessarily because of like the lack of player quality, quote unquote, but just like the general weirdness, like you said, for different reasons. That year it was because of COVID and everything. But um the more I think about it and just hear you talk about it like that, I'm like, I kind of feel and this brings me to the heat and the mix. It makes me feel good because A, my team doesn't have the pressure of a top 10 pick, but we can still take advantage, which the Knicks have been historically recently at least pretty good at, like with like quickly and grimes and you know, they they've been good on on mar on the margins and stuff like that. It's it's their top picks where they've act ironically just struggled through the years, but like mid middle of the draft, back end of the draft, they've been uh pretty good since Walt Perrin has been here running the show. So um you know the Heat will likely be picking in the in the back half. It's just y'all y'all just have your own pick, right? You don't have anybody else's, I don't think. Yeah, just start twenty twenty four for Yeah, so you know, for now, one bite at the apple, barring an unforeseen trade. Um are we can uh we can just hit quickly on like are there any guys who I'll say this with the disclaimer that like Every mock draft I see from ESPN or whoever, like the order changes wildly. So, guys, we talk about today in a month could be like in the lottery for all I fucking know. So, <laughs> disclaimer for the listeners, yeah. but like, are the there any? Might hit. <laughs> the check might hit a certain person's pocket, you know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, those uh, mid major checks cash out a little bit later. So, uh, you gotta wait, <laughs> wait, wait till it uh, heats up outside. Um, but yeah, are there any other players, any players who are outside of those like name brand, like not, you know, Matas, not Ron Holland, not Sar, who you're like, hmm, they might got the versatility or the touch or like the understanding of how to play off ball and all that shit that like the Miami Heat like? Um, I think one target is somebody who I like outside of the Heat and a position of need um, in like a, a backup center and like somebody who does have like good touch and good movement skills and a body that like you mentioned strength um one thing that i forgot to mention when i talked about things that he's like in a prospect is like they're willing and this goes beyond just a prospect it's like especially udfa because that's a big part of you mm-hmm. know the appeal to the heat is somebody with like somebody who's a project um physically right somebody okay we're going to work on your movement skills or, okay, we're going to work on your body or we're going to work. We're going to give you that good HPH. <laughs> and, and they end up and, you know, they end up better movers, whether that's Gabe Vincent, whether that's um, Max Struess, who recently left. So I think. Duncan Robinson, yo, I be seeing pictures yeah, of him. Yeah, Duncan, he looks swell out here now. <laughs> and he moves well. And like he's handling better, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I think Daron Holmes is definitely somebody who, um, I I would look at if I were the Heat. Um, I think he kind of has a combination of like ball skills and length and touch and like a little bit of secondary passing that could you know add a punch to the Heat second unit in due time. Right, you, we kind of already have 
a, a big bet like that in Orlando Robinson, but I think mm-hmm. I would I think I would be a lot more willing to um put faith in Deron just because Deron moves a lot better than Orlando and he's a lot mm-hmm. more explosive of a mover. Um I think I think he led the led the NCAA in dunks last year or he was certainly or no 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 that was probably Zach Eady. Or he was like certainly he was like up there. He dunks and, a lot and he dunks the shit out the ball. <laughs> yeah. His his arms are super long. He obviously um the shooting is a part of his appeal and like general spacing is a big part of what the Heat want to do. Pick obviously pick and pop from the top of the key or you know, against like um let's say Tibbs pad mm-hmm. ice coverage at times, even though you guys aren't like super as heavy ice as like the Celtics were or the, the Bulls were. If the yeah. Knicks are running ice coverage, you know, float into the free throw line and knocking down that dotted that dotted jumper is something that's valuable and something, you know, Orlando hasn't shown that he can do c- consistently. And Thomas Bryan is kind of, you know, not playable on the other end at all. And one right. of the least enjoyable players ever, even though he can't <laughs> do that, right? So <clears throat> finding somebody who can kind of do that and they have no projectable skills on the defensive end where the hand-eye coordination that helps them with the touch, I think helps them with, like, ball tracking and, like, blocking shots. Um, the strength is a pretty major concern, especially in his core. And I think balance can be an issue at times. Um, but that's where, you know, heat strength and conditioning and <laughs> baby steroids, like you said, can help. So um I think the Ron Holmes is, is definitely one of the one of my first heat targets. I I actually wanted us to, you know, trade into the second round and you know, see if we had a shot at him last year, but obviously he um exited the draft because he wasn't getting the best feedback. I don't think he's valued in a draft very much. Um so whether that's a second pick or, you know, the Heat really don't care about where somebody is expected to go or what's the, like, what's the, what's the most valuable time to take them. Like, if the Heat had a positive eval on Duran and they had, like, the, the 22nd pick and he was, you know, projected to go 58, they would take him 22nd. Like, if he was number one on their board, he would get taken early. And you, you've seen that with Hami. Um, You've seen that with Tyler. A lot of people called Tyler Reese at the time. People hated the BAM pick. People forget that. The BAM pick was, like, so slammed on um, on here. And I think part of it was, like, not necessarily being used that right at Kentucky, but a lot of it was just, like, where he was supposed to go or considered to go versus where he went. So, yeah. It's also classic, like, Kentucky weirdness, right, where people – I think people now, like, know better than to, like – they always know a little more – might be under the hood now than they thought. But back then, people were like, what? Just this, you know, rim-running... Rim-running big. Like, they thought he was a normal big. And it's like, I was I was super young when this happened, but I remember I remember speaking and watching, like, his game against Chino Hills. And I was like, ah, he, he kind of passed. Why didn't he do this at Kentucky? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I, I, I definitely rated him too low. Um, but I remember being like, oh, he played on, like, the weird Chino Hills team. Like, there, there might be some stuff there. But I didn't. I just didn't know what the fuck to do with that information about that team at all in general back then. <laughs> it was so, like, out there. But, yeah, 100%. Um, Deron Holmes is someone, like, I, I, don't, I don't really know what to do with him. Um, I got to dig into his shot more. But, like, yeah, he's the kind of player who I could totally see the heat taking and then everybody being like, oh, like this guy can knock down a spot of three and he's like 
fucking chiseled now and he's a great rim protector who moves well like where why were everyone why was everyone asleep at the wheel and and it's like no you just like he's not a shiny object who's plug and play and there's a lot of rim running center prospects every year now who are really good so it's like what differentiates him well the team that picks that could be a really valid differentiator it doesn't always have to be the player themselves. So um, that's a really good example of uh, how that might go down. I've always gotten like some pushback from Knicks fans whenever I like a center prospect, just because, you know, we've had Mitch and iHeart and Tibbs and 48 minutes of big centers and no stretch fives and Julius never plays the five. So it's like, especially we were starved for guard play for years. So it's like, no, don't waste your valuable draft pick on a fucking center press like we need to take more guards and stuff but i think now that our roster's more settled uh knicks fans are a little more open-minded about um who they might take i know we've been going for a bit here so I'll, i'll close this out can you give me quick like one sentence on like three other guys who if you were the gm you'd be you'd be on the lookout for them for the heat late in the first um, I would probably say Wugo Poplar, um, flexible, uh, projectable shot, thought, you know, <laughs> that's something, that's something that, uh, that he don't normally look for. Um, he's not necessarily the type of archetype that they, that he, uh, like have normally coveted in terms of like body type. He's probably the most similar, like Jay Rich on our team currently, but he is definitely somebody, um, is he from Miami? I know he plays there. I don't, I don't think so. Oh, I was going to say bring him home, but I mean, he is close enough. <laughs> <laughs> he put, yeah, he did play for Miami. Um, he does have the, the touch stuff. He is a multi-year guy, which I think helps for them. Um, yeah, I would say Wuka Pablo is somebody that I would look, look at. Um, trying to think of guys that might declare. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, let's go, like, I think just to keep along with like the big theme, um, I would definitely say like Osa is somebody with like decent touch indicators and is a five with like good ball tracking and can move, like move really well. Those those should be targets and there's a lot of those in the draft, whether it's him, whether it's Bona. Um, you know, Ezon is kind of falling out of um falling out of uh uh like like teams aren't as much in love with him as they were before, but um, somebody with that kind of relevant skill set, if you can get them in, you know, the mid or the early second round. And in terms of like multi-year guy, shooter, like great touch indicators, I would definitely say like Jackson Robinson is somebody that the Heat still look for. Jackson um, Robinson is literally like the player I want the most on the Knicks. Like I haven't made my Knicks specific draft board yet, but. By the end of the cycle, I will have made Nick's Twitter fall in love with this man. That's like my one goal. <laughs> yeah, movement, movement shooter with long arms. You know, like that. Obviously, there's a lot more to dive into, but those those type of guys who are movement shooters with like decent athletic tools, right? Um, these are a little bit better than decent, but solid athletes. And he's like flexible. You you don't really see that for like a skinny tall person, but like thin, 
really like really flexible and a really good shooter. Like that's just a simple sell, right? That's and I think um there's a little bit of scarcity in that. There aren't really like movement shooters in this class. Maybe you could argue um Risa Share at the top. Maybe you can argue like Melvin Agenta. How did, I, I might have butchered that last name, but there aren't as many like movement shooter types, and he's definitely one of those. So scarcity value, tall, long shooter. So I would he's one of those players who's like we talked about guys with kind of like very specific. They need a certain set of circumstances to flourish. But Jackson's pretty straightforward. He's like, nope. You just put him on your bench, and he comes in and he fucking shoots a lot of threes and occasionally gets cuts or dunks in transition like he's because he's athletic like <laughs> it's pretty straightforward yeah yeah is are there any like nick specific targets that you know you can give some short words on uh, i'm still thinking about it but like the knicks the knicks like guys who score a lot every player they picked has scored just a shit ton like in terms of like per minute, per 100 possessions, per 40 possessions, per 36 minutes, whatever measure you want, like Deuce, Grimes, Obi, Quickly, even like Rokas overseas, like all these guys just are like score first guys who just filled it up before they got to the NBA. They like pull-up shooters, but I think that might just be because they've taken a lot of guards. They certainly haven't taken any guards who don't pull-up shoot. Um, They like guys who are strong. They hate they have not drafted a young 18 or 19 year old since RJ Barrett. I don't include Trevor Keels because I'm assuming that was just a favor to an agent or something. I don't know what happened there. Would, but, Dylan, would Dylan Jones kind of fit that description? I haven't really dug into Dylan Jones that much. So you tell me, man. I got to put him on my list. I think he's kind of like, um, just in terms of the sale, you know, mm-hmm. he's not really the best athlete. He's kind of like the, but he's a he's a guy with like a lot of usage right now, scoring the ball a lot. A good intermediate game, can shoot the three ball. I know um, he's strong. Yeah, he's he's like really strong for the most part. Like he has a really big frame, and he's also relatively flexible. But the the explosiveness is on the on the negative side, and the movement skills defensively are on the negative side. It's kind of a similar style to like, um, I'm trying to remember who did the Grizzlies draft in 22, other than Laravia. Roddy? Yes, it's kind of like a similar spell to like David Roddy, where it's like, okay, this mm-hmm. guy, this guy has like, like Jones is a good passer, Jones is a good scorer, Jones like a good driver, um, in, at getting to a spot, not necessarily getting all the way, but this is all in like a creator role, and he has some movement concerns. How do we, you know, scale that back? I think mm-hmm. like not even necessarily making a aesthetic comp to them, just in terms of like the sell of what yeah. the offensive usage means on the next level. So I think um, may- maybe, I mean, he's kind of, he's not the tallest though, but he does kind of fit the scores a lot. His pull-up is strong. I mean, the whole Knicks team is like not tall relative to their positions except for their centers. So I don't think that would uh, be much of an issue. And I'm looking at his, the other thing I didn't get to that I forgot is like, the Knicks are a bunch of fucking nerds. Like they're one of the most analytics cognizant teams in the league and like every, almost every player they take is like has yeah, just productive. like wacko college that's the first stats. key in Karen, right <laughs> huh yeah maybe I don't, it's been a while since I read it but yeah I forget what stupid acronym I came up to make it fit <laughs> um, but yeah this guy like I haven't looked at his 
that since like the very beginning of the season and like holy shit like his numbers are crazy so yeah i'm gonna have to dig in on uh dylan jones um because he's clearly out here hooping and uh, anybody who's out here hooping putting up like double digit bpms and is old enough to drink and also can like bench themselves 20 times is probably going to be high on uh the Knicks draft board so i'm gonna check that out um any six six which is like the Knicks got enough guards they need wings so that that kind of works too cool all right well uh we ended this with uh you putting me on to a possible parent pick so that was a pleasant but not unexpected surprise um because that's why i follow you on twitter is to learn shit like that so thank you eli for joining us on this pod for uh almost an hour um very generous with your time and like i said at the top y'all can find eli on twitter at flawless like eli um you can find the pod the the culture chatter pod on twitter and wherever you get your podcasts and um eli i don't know if if you want to plug anything that you got coming out or the pod or anything like feel free to just let folks know like what you got going on if there's anything or or whatever uh not really uh articles on the way probably about this class maybe a ron holland article um soon or maybe not as soon you never know trying to get back (laughs) into that sphere but nothing really thank you for you know letting me come on Accenture. yeah man you got it this was tons of fun for me um i know like that topic that we had and like that discussion we had in the middle of the pod that's just the kind of thing that is so much easier to get into in this format as opposed to tweets and dms so um this was fucking exactly what i hoped for so thank you man um this was great i have no doubt that uh this will help get people excited for this class um so uh yeah that's that's what we got for you this week um i know we had a long gap listeners between the first episode and the second episode of draft strickland this season and that's because it was the holidays and then i fucking got covid but we're gonna try to get every two weeks we're gonna try to get this train back on schedule uh so we can get a couple of episodes under our belt before we get to march madness and all that so um lock in with us tap in we're going to be getting into it, uh, you know, as the Knicks pass this trade deadline and uh, and the players throughout the country and in other leagues around the world begin kind of solidifying their rank. And hopefully we get some consensus in this crazy draft and then uh, we'll be able to see we'll be able to figure out who the Knicks will take. And uh, until next time, it's me, your boy, Prez. You can find me at underscore Presidente on Twitter. You can find me on the Strickland Brighton stuff. Um, go check us out, and we will see you next time. The New York Knicks. Here's David Stern. With an first pick, select Patrick Ewing. Basketball is back in New York City, my friend. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.